0: All right. The Craftsman, episode five. How you doing, Dwayne? Good, sir. How are you? Not bad. So we just had the pleasure of watching The Craftsman, episode five.
1: And uh, not disappointed. No, 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 no. So Eric, gosh, I just blanked on his last name. Oh, now, now I can't remember his last name. So anyway, our buddy Eric yeah. in Eureka, California, okay. uh, doing what he does. Uh, I believe the the title of the episode was Memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he spent a good deal of time reminiscing about days of old from his youth. Yeah. Uh, his best friend. His best friend, Dennis, I believe was his name. Yeah. Uh. And some of their exploits and and uh, and childhood. So he started out uh, with him out by the bay, looking over the bay, yeah, and talking about him and Dennis building a boat. Mm-hmm. And I think he said fifth grade.
0: Yeah, it was. He, he was
1: definitely young. I, I remember was thinking, young. Uh, yeah,
0: boat. Build a
1: yeah a boat. He yeah. said it leaked, but they got out on the bay. <clears throat> right. In a boat. It was a different time. That they built.
0: No helicopter parents.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And and it was really interesting because it seemed like they they dove into in several of the episodes do this, but about his background and his character and yeah. the, what kind of person he is. And um just obviously a genuine guy, and the friend that he was reminiscing about has passed away since. Yes. And um, you could tell that he really kind of took that trip down memory lane and was thinking about um, all those experiences and everything that led him up to that. And it wasn't until this episode that I, I guess I realized he grew up in that town his entire life. Of course, he went away to war. right? But when he walks through that town, he's remembering things from whenever he was 5. It,
1: that is that is wild to in this day and age. Yeah. To meet somebody that even lives kind of close to where they were born, much right. less in the same town. Right. You know, it most people are, "Oh, I want to travel or I want to mm-hmm. see the world or I want to get out or you know, I I feel constrained in this place and right you know you got to to get out and and explore and he just he stayed and and owned it and yeah. and grew with it yeah and then, of course he had his time
0: uh in the military but after the military and they cover this in some of the beginning episodes mm-hmm. one of the things he knew that he, he knew in his heart of hearts is he had to go back right that's that was where he felt at peace Um, you know, was, was in that area of the state um, and around those people. Um, So, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a really good episode. And you and I were talking about it in one of the first episodes, they rebuilt like an entire trolley, (laughs) (laughs) you know, which is both of us are are looking at that and we're like, that's a huge amount of work. That must've been months and months and months and months. And in this episode, you can tell uh, it's, it's maybe a smaller project or two smaller projects, but they dive more into, if you will, character development. Um, yeah. But that's probably how they were able to get two, three seasons now. And I still walked away from this one. Um, still just fascinated. Like I've told you, like I can easily watch these just, one right after the back other. Back to back. Yeah. It's so relaxing. It's yeah. like um, when I was growing up on uh, PBS, the Woodwright shop. Yeah. It's almost like that television show, only it's not a television show. This is this guy's life. It is. You know,
1: yeah. It, it there's a, it, it, you talked about production value of it and, uh, there's some shows you watch where it's bright lights and yeah. loud music and action and drama and just, you know, constant bombardment of creating a crisis. Right. <laughs> right. And this this is not that. It's, no. It's calm. Yeah. And it's him thinking through things and right and, and creating and building and they give him a chance to talk and to reminisce and to, mm-hmm. to you know live in the moment that he's remembering yeah it's not just yeah he remembered his childhood and then he went surfing <coughs> and then he did and then then and, and you know it's not right. just one uh adrenaline hit after another yeah the, this is something that's actually relaxing to watch it very much is yeah
0: and one of the um One of the things he was reminiscing about was whenever he was a child with his best friend, Dennis, the one he built the boat with, Mm -hmm. they went to a movie theater, which in this episode, that same movie theater was bought by a company who um, fortunately decided they weren't going to demolish it, but they were going to take it and restore it to um, sort of its former uh, glory, which it was... What style was it art it, art deco art deco, yeah, yeah, so it had all of those, it looked like it was moving, even though it was sitting still,
1: yeah, lots of curves and and points and yeah fluidity yeah uh, which i'm I'm not super good with all the styles and everything, but i could I could see because the i don't know who she was, the lady that brought him the molding. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't know if she was a curator or a representative or who she was. Right. But she kind of explained mm-hmm. the gentleman who built it and why he built it that way and yeah. what he was going for. And, and uh, it was one of the few Art Deco pieces in the town. It was. From what I understood. Yeah. Uh, but once again, not super uh, fluent on Art Deco style.
0: I tend to become well-versed in a certain style Mm -hmm. as long as that's what my project is. (laughs) And then once that project finishes, I move on to becoming a student of whatever this is. And so I've sort of traveled through those, but I don't necessarily retain all of them (laughs) like in order. And and yeah, but uh, but yeah, I believe you're right. It was Art Deco. Uh, And so he, he was tasked with rebuilding would you call that trim on the outside the those architectural details that connected through the um the windows and a yeah s-
1: I, it's a yeah i would call it trim yeah i guess it's just it's an applied molding to the face of the building to create depth and style and yeah and lend to the to the art deco
0: and uh, correct me if i'm wrong what kind of wood were they using for that? Was that uh, redwood?
1: I would guess, <laughs> since it was exterior mm-hmm. uh, and they're in California, yeah, that it would be redwood. Right there on the bay, yeah. lots of moisture, Yeah, corrosion, mm-hmm. all of that.
0: And that seems to be sort of his um, area of expertise. Yeah. And the interesting thing was they only had so much wood they can use to actually pull the project off. And so he made that really interesting point. Um he had two pencils. He always carries two pencils. And have you ever heard that terminology before? I haven't. A farmer's pencil and a preacher's pencil. I haven't, but I found it his explanation of it intriguing. Yeah. So he he was saying that the farmer's pencil was pretty blunt and rounded over. And it made a nice big thick line that you can see from far away. And you knew um, you could cut on one side of the line or split the line or do whatever you need. But it meandered down the wood like a farmer's furrow. Exactly. But the preacher's pencil was sharpened to really fine line. Mm -hmm. And that was exactly what it needed to be. You couldn't deviate one side or the other. And he said, because there the wood they had to work with was so limited that they were going to have to use this pencil. And he was holding out the preacher's pencil, which made that really fine line. And actually when I was looking at those beams that they had to work with, I remember thinking, Oh man, they're going to, they're probably going to get two of them out of that. And then whenever they were at the bandsaw, I saw that he was going to get three Three. out of it.
1: Yeah. You talk about gutsy. Uh, He didn't have a lot of room. No. To, to sand or to plane or to, to true up those pieces that he ripped out of that, they had to be like spot on. Right. This is what we have. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it would require that the preacher's pencil. Right. To show you where the truth was. Yeah. And, and
0: and then they were using, uh, a bandsaw, which is obviously going to have a really thin curve. curve. So Mm -hmm. you're not losing much to sawdust and they cut those down. And then I thought it was interesting because at one point, and this is one of the things I love about the show, they don't edit all of these things out. There was a point where he was like, wait a minute. In the drawing, it says tapered. Well, what does tapered mean? <laughs> you know, what What are they calling tapered? Yeah. Because I know that you've experienced it. I've experienced it. Um in any sort of trade, you have sort of your own lingo, your own terminology, mm-hmm. nomenclature, mm-hmm. and someone coming from a different background will use a word, and you're like, yep, got it, no problem. And then you get about halfway into it, and you're like, oh, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and so I, I thought it was great because you could see him. He got he got on the phone, mm-hmm. and he just he didn't try and like – dance around it or anything like that. He just goes, what do you mean by tapered? Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so you can hear the other guy and he's like, well, you know, it's like, it's pointy. And he's like, so, so, okay. I think we've broken the code. He didn't blame that guy and say, well, you use the wrong word. No. Or that's not what taper is. Everybody. He was just like, yeah, okay. Well now we understand. Yeah. And so they actually had to go back and modify how they had cut some of those so that it would match what the client had in their head. Right. And, you know, and and he even said, he was that's part of what craftsmen do is just if you make a mistake, figure out how to work within that and produce something that's, that's going to come out and make the client happy. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah. I can't, I can't count the times I've, told somebody i'm working with of the difference between a good craftsman and a bad craftsman is a good craftsman can hide his mistakes a hundred percent because everyone is going to make mistakes absolutely everyone yeah Yeah. but if you can take that mistake and be like no we can incorporate that or we can Mm -hmm. move it or we can shift it or we can you know change the design slightly to still get the end result that we want like that's that's part of craftsmanship
0: Absolutely. It's working with what you have.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: um, <clears throat> a slight departure, but you and I have talked about this. One of my guilty pleasures is going on YouTube and watching these people in third world countries that make amazing things. From straightening the frame of a, of a wrecked uh, truck truck to building a dump truck bed, to building crankshafts for engines and compressors, mm-hmm. and they have a grinder that's older than me. Yeah, um, a transformer welder, and I use the term generously. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, they're doing things that would make a, a an OSHA guy just pass out. Yes, all in sandals on a dirt floor, and they have an oxyacetylene torch. Mm-hmm. That's craftsmanship. Yeah. Using what you have and then knowing what your end goal is and getting there. Right. It may be crazy to watch. Like I tell some of my clients, this is going to be like making sausage. <laughs> it's going to be ugly to watch. But once I'm done, you're going to be like, that looks pretty good. Can I have, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. the the process is um, part of what you fight with and deal with as a craftsman. Yeah. What people See at the end is often a lot of extra work on your part to pull that off, but that's part of what your job is.
1: That is part of it. You have a, a project on the bench right now, uh, uh, a top that uh, has some scallop edges, and <laughs> yeah. uh, you know when when we first put that on the bench and you tacked it up. Which we then cut off. <laughs> we did. <Yeah. laughs> Modified and uh and, and re-tacked up. It looked god awful. It, it looked like it like we pulled scrap out of the scrap bin from another project <laughs> yeah. and right. hammered it to right make it look like this. And today I I show up and it's it's welded and it's ground and the edges are crisp and clean. All the miters look like they belong. I, it transformed drastically. <laughs> it, it, I know where it started. Right. You know where it started. Right. We're the probably the only ones, besides whoever's listening, that mm-hmm. knows that that did not start out right. ideal. Right. But it turned out to, to look like we planned it. Mm-hmm. Like it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Like that's where we were going the whole time. Mm. Yeah, I mean
0: be surprised what you can do with like 10 pounds of welding rods, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of grinding discs. Uh, yeah. You know, that's that. So you that's have not to work with what you
1: have. You do. Yeah. And that's not too far off from those fellas in the sandals creating something with what they had. Right. You know, they have a huge box of welding rod as well. <laughs> yeah. Which they are building, creating, shaping into what they want. Mm-hmm. So, maybe you have a few different, uh, resources, resources. And, uh,
0: well, and- I'll say this. I started off with the same amount of resources as those gentlemen mm-hmm. have currently. Now I live in a first world country and I've had a lot of things work to my advantage, but so many of the first things that I built in the first 3 or 4 years of fabricating and this is before I even became a professional fabricator this is whenever I was 17 18 mm-hmm. 19 i had a black and decker grinder that belonged to my grandfather i had uh, a link arc it it actually it's right here behind me <laughs> that link arc welder that's yeah. the first welder i ever used and that's one of the things that i wanted from my grandfather's yeah. Shop and, and it sits in my office. Um I had that, a box of welding rods, and uh oxyacetylene, but I wasn't I didn't really know how to use oxyacetylene. So I became very um resourceful uh, of you know how to try and make the best you could with but, what you had.
1: Before. But look at all the skills that you were able to build with that minimal equipment. If I'd started off being a carpenter with a hammer a skill saw and uh, we'll call it a drill <laughs> resemble a drill uh, you, you know but yeah. you you take those things and you yeah. learn how to take substandard equipment mm-hmm. and make it work so when everything isn't ideal on yeah. a job you're like i've figured out harder things than this yeah i know a shortcut here i know a shortcut there maybe if i overlap these skills i have and and do this and build up this and and I I can make it work.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting. It's almost better if you learn on very simple, rudimentary Mm -hmm. equipment and tools, because that allows you to sharpen your skills. And then whenever you get better equipment and better tools, you're just empowered. You're even better. You're even faster. Whereas if you learn on state of the art equipment, the first time that doesn't work properly, you can see guys, they'll just sort of go into a panic and they're like, I, there's nothing else I can do. They
1: crumble. Yeah. 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 And so. Um, How many job sites have you been on where a piece of equipment's failed and you're like, okay, we'll just pivot. Mm-hmm. We'll take this other piece of equipment that's not meant for this job <laughs> and we'll make it work.
0: Probably for good reason. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, point, to your
0: point, yeah. Yeah, if you see somebody who can have something shut down on them and they just say, yeah, okay, and like you said, pivot, get something else off of their truck or Mm -hmm. something else that's on site and just be like, I'm going to go ahead and cut this up by hand, but I'm just going to freehand hold it. Right. You'll see several people just scatter because (laughs) they're like, I don't want to be around when this happens, you know. But when the guy pulls it off, people are like, oh, he's a magician, you know? <laughs> and it's just, he learned with very simple tools. Yeah. And so he brings those skills with him. And, you know, you're just so much more, you have so much more depth and mm-hmm. resources, you know? So,
1: I'm, I'm going to date us here a little bit, but uh, I assume you also grew up watching MacGyver. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that guy, some bubble gum and a paperclip, could build Absolutely. almost anything paraglider with <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, simple things that were in his yeah. pocket, mm-hmm. you know, and a gum wrapper. Yeah. He could, he could disarm bombs. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could
0: all the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I watched some of that growing up, but we didn't get that channel. This mm-hmm. is back whenever television came through the airwaves.
1: Um, we also had the antenna. You had to yes. turn. Yes.
0: We had a mountain in the way, so
1: we actually didn't get that.
0: Um, but we did get the A-Team.
1: And th- that's um, pretty much the same thing.
0: As you can tell, I've pretty much patterned my life after BA Baracus. <laughs> uh, but that was, I was always fascinated by that because it didn't matter what was going on. Somehow they produced an oxyacetylene torch, and he oxyacetylene welded everything and cut Mm-hmm. And they were able to now this does puzzle me. They did travel <laughs> with chrome plated mini 14s, but they would make a cannon that shot lettuce to defeat <laughs> to defeat the bad guys. And I'm not harshing them out. I mean it was resourceful. But I even at like the age of 8 I was like, but you have guns, you know. But I think it was just I don't know. I don't want to tell them how to save a village. But No, to, I
1: don't I don't think 8 seasons are – however long they were how on. How do you argue with that? I, you can't. Exactly. You cannot. Yeah. So,
0: yes, the, the 80s completely <laughs> shaped <laughs> the way our generation thinks about things. And, and, and for some of us, it actually shaped us enough or scarred us, I don't know, your words, um, <laughs> of, of how we look at things. And so, yeah, being resourceful. Is uh, is just there's no substitute for it,
1: there, there's really as not. a craftsman, you know. No. no, um,
0: but yeah, sorry, man, we took a side road on that, but one of us did. Yeah. <laughs> he was, <laughs> uh, he was able to going back to Eric, and after all these pieces were cut, and they had already cut, didn't he have like 63 pieces or 63 feet? of this molding
1: to make. Yeah. Yes. So let, let let's back up just a little bit back to the the shaper mm-hmm. that he used. Oh and cutting the knife. And cutting the yeah. knives to because he didn't have one that was the exact profile that he wanted. Mm-hmm. So he took one that he had that was within a quarter inch close. Yeah. Like not really not even close. No. And uh, he drew a pencil line on it. Yeah. And then went to the grinder, ground it by hand, and ground it by hand. And he, he's an older gentleman who slightly shakes mm-hmm. when just it's going to happen to all of us. Yeah. And he sat there and carved that knife on a grinder. It looked like the wheel hadn't been dressed no. ever, ever. And he ground that knife to fit the profile that he wanted, chucked it up in the shaper, found some scrap metal to, to balance, balance the, the shaper, head.
0: Which I thought that was interesting because whenever they cut, they use one knife. Which I thought that was odd too. Yeah, because my understanding is usually they use two or three
1: yes. or four. Well, the more knives, the cleaner the cut. Right. One knife, if you, go, if you push the material too fast, it'll give you a chatter uh, in it. So the more knives that cut, the cleaner the cut, the smoother the cut, yeah, but he used one knife that he ground by hand, yeah, on I don't know it looked like maybe a nineteen forties delta grinder <laughs> it like right. it, it wasn't state of the art no, either, no. but he sat there and he ground it, and when he ran the material through it came out flawless. It looked really nice to me it it didn't look like he sanded it, yeah. Or any it just straight out of the shaper, it looked beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then he started telling a story about how he got the knives. The knives. Yeah. So this fella that made knives, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna add them here for a second. But like from his early twenties to when he was like seventy eight. Yes. Made these knives for this this company. That I guess a, it was a millwork company. A millwork or? company. Yeah. And that's all he did was make these knives. <clears throat> And one day they came to him and said, we're done. Box all these up. We're going to ship them to scrap, I think. Yeah, they were. Uh, Yeah. So he went and pulled Eric aside and said, hey, I'm not throwing my life's work into a scrap pile. I'm going to give these to you if you promise to use them. Right. And Eric was like, I got you. I got your back. And he showed him how to actually grind them. He showed him how to grind them and shape them. And I'm sure there's... I'm not sure if those are tool steel or what kind of steel they are, but he was he was keeping it cool while he was grinding. Yes, he was. You know the angles and all that stuff has to be important. And did you see
0: they had a shot in one of those buildings? And I think he called it the molding building or or, um, molding shed. Yeah, and they had all of those knives laid out. Do you
1: remember how many he said he had? No, but it was like it was astounding. I I want to say. I'm doubting myself now, but I want to say it was three thousand, but it may have been three hundred. It was a lot, and you, could you guys even will s- have to go listen for yourself. But <laughs> yeah, it there was shelves yeah. and shelves
0: and shelves, and they were dusting off. Yeah, you know, and they were. It didn't he say they have the largest collection of knives, molding knives, like in the world,
1: or in, I think he said in the U.S. In the U.S., yeah, yeah, but just bananas how many and you could see all the profiles that were there and they were they were numbered yeah and uh i'm sure they were cataloged and yeah that's insane think about
0: how much would have been lost if that man at 80 years old because i believe he was 80 and he had worked there until he was 78 yeah and they called him in and said we've been bought out by a larger company we don't need these anymore we need you to box them all up and instead of letting them go to scrap he put in some effort mm-hmm. he found someone and was just like listen <laughs> i will set you up i will i will point you in the right direction just promise me that all of these don't just go to a scrap bin somewhere yeah. and so some credit has to be given to that gentleman for for reaching out to another generation uh, because Eric said he had been using those for 40 years. Mm-hmm. So an 80-year-old man shows up with all of these knives and the the know-how to sharpen these, to, you know. And to uh, take the time to,
1: to show show them. someone.
0: And Eric, to his credit, for the next 40 years... Used all of those. He didn't just do it for a year or so and be yeah. like, listen, there's a CNC router that will cut almost <laughs> any profile you want. You know what I mean? He was a man of his word. He cataloged them, saved them, yeah. keeps them all laid out. Yeah.
1: Really fascinating. So and they're on the coast. Yes. Right? So yeah. saltwater. Saltwater air. Yeah. And he was pulling out boxes of clean yeah, knives. Clean, like no mm-hmm. surface rust on them. Even the ones on the shelf didn't look like they were, like, heavily oxidized. Yeah, they had some flash rust, but they weren't pitted. No, yeah. not like they had sat there for 40 years and right. just rusted away. Like, something kept them, whether it was him cleaning or whether it was, I don't know, maybe there was four foot of sawdust on them before we saw them <laughs> that kept right that air away. I don't know. But they were taken care of. They yeah. weren't just haphazardly thrown about. It's a commitment.
0: Yeah, they weren't all just in a bucket.
1: No. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. they weren't. They were out where you could see them, and you could choose what you needed and, and, and get what you wanted, not just willy-nilly yeah, sifting through and, and trying to find something that would work.
0: So he's able to dig out a knife that's close to it, reprofile it, and then use it to actually cut the profiles on both sides and produce all of this linear feet. Yeah. And then... Part of the way through this episode, before they finish all of that, this woman comes in from a museum, right? Yes. And brings in something that, until I watched that episode, I didn't know existed. It's called a milking
1: stool. Yeah. Did, have you ever heard of those or seen those or anything like that? No. And my dad was raised on a dairy. Mm-hmm. I have uncles that ran dairies from till I was in high school. Right. And modern dairies. Mm-hmm. But I've I've never seen anything like that. So how would you describe it? If you would have showed this to me out of the blue and said, what do you think this is? I would not have guessed. No. It looks like a tractor seat. Uh-huh.
0: Carved out of wood.
1: Carved out of wood on a peg leg to where if you were to mount a tractor seat to a tractor to have the shaft coming out the middle of the seat, mm-hmm. this had a peg leg, maybe 18 inches long. Yeah. And then coming off the bottom of the seat was a leather type of harness. Mm-hmm. It was like a
0: belt or well, it was two straps that came up to a belt that you wore around your waist.
1: Yeah. 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 So I, if you would have showed that to me, i I'm not sure I would have guessed it was for milking.
0: There, I definitely wouldn't have, you know, because I have no experience really around uh, dairy farm or I've been around cows, but yeah. I didn't ever work cattle yeah. or anything like that. So the if, if I had to describe it, whenever it's actually strapped to you and you're standing there in a normal posture, <laughs> it looks like you have a bee stinger.
1: <laughs> and exactly it, where a bee stinger would be. It does. Yeah. It does. Because you can, you can stand up and you can walk around. You're completely yeah. mobile. And then as you assume the sitting position,
0: that peg comes down and sits on the ground and is like a true 90 degrees right underneath you, mm-hmm. right underneath your rear end. And then both of your legs become the other two legs of a tripod.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Your legs are bent about a 90 degree, maybe a little yeah. over.
0: Yeah. And so it's pretty genius. I mean, if you think about it, because your only other option would be to walk around and to kneel on your knees, yeah. which I know enough about cows to know that you probably don't want to kneel. Probably
1: do not. Yeah.
0: in a cow shed. Um, so yeah, old technology, uh, and you were able to walk around wherever you needed. And essentially, you were carrying the stool with you, it was strapped to you. Yeah. And then you could milk the cow and then stand up and walk over to another cow, no matter where they were or what position. Yeah. And because it's essentially a tripod, both of your legs and then that milking stool, it doesn't matter if the ground is level uh it's it's really genius and it is. and these were super old because you could tell that the leather had started to degrade mm-hmm. and the wood was mm-hmm. it looked almost crumbly uh and so he went to work on it with
1: um what was it neat's foot the oil leather he' neat's foot on yeah because it's extracted let's see if I can remember from the Shin bone or shin bone and hooves of and the cow hooves of a cow, mm-hmm. so it's basically two like materials mm-hmm. reuniting together, yeah. So it made the leather supple and stable again rather yeah. than dry and brittle, right?
0: And you could see whenever he brushed it on almost instantaneously, it would just suck down into the leather. <laughs> yeah. And he was
1: doing it several times, and every time, like a sponge, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I. I noticed that he he didn't go find a rag, a, he didn't have a special dish that he poured it into. It, he didn't have a, you know, this one-off room where he only did leather work. He just went to a bench, stuck his finger in it, right, and then just wiped it on. Yeah, no gloves, like I, natural material. Yeah. I understand it's not like some corrosive battery yeah. acid or something he's wiping on, but yeah, he just did it yeah didn't worry about and we've said this many times about his equipment where some of it's got some duct tape on it or he has to push down on a pedal and then lift it with his foot to push down again and he he's he's not worried about being explicitly corrects not the term but
0: well he's it, in it. He's engaged in it. He, it's like he he's is. he's like an artist that, that paints, but he has paint all over him and he doesn't care or like
1: he'll The craft is more important than anything absolutely. going on around yeah around him or or anything else. I just I thought that was was interesting that he wasn't concerned. He just Yeah. He knew that it's not harmful. I'm right. just gonna I'm just gonna put it on here and it's gonna be what it is. Even though he's restoring this <laughs> Museum piece. At least 100 years old. Because it was it was for yeah. a museum. Yeah. And he was like, no, I'll just smear with my finger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: No, I, absolutely. And he was able to... I don't remember what he put on the wood, um, and it seemed like he had a name for it, but it was also like a type of oil uh, that would soak into that and start to uh,
1: protect it a little bit. Yeah, let me think. It wasn't mink oil, but it was... Um, Uh, it'll it'll come to me
0: yeah but it was fascinating to see um you know he knew that one thing would be good for the leather the other thing would be best for the wood and he applied it slowly so that it would start to soak it it back up well he even
1: he even talked about it like this is gonna get into the cells of the wood it's gonna make it more pliable he wasn't just like this is good stuff trust me (laughs) right (laughs) the people at ace hardware said this really well yeah
0: No, he and so he's obviously had some sort of background in um, conservator
1: Mm -hmm. uh, training or or, uh, restoration work and things like that. Uh, I don't even know if it's training other than uh, on-the-job experience. Well, they obviously, whenever he was talking to the lady that brought it to him,
0: uh, he was like, well, would you like to do this or would you like to do that? And she just sort of looked at him and she was like, whatever it is you say. You know, so there's a a level of trust there. Mm -hmm. She even
1: said, we we trust you to do what's best.
0: exactly, exactly. Which is, I mean, if that's not the mark of a craftsman, then uh, that's a very high compliment uh, that you can give a a craftsperson. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you and I have talked about it before. You, You run into a lot of different people over the years as you're working, and there are some people who are like, I majored in finance. I should really tell you how to do this. (laughs) You know, if you're sort of like, okay, you know, um, but it's refreshing whenever someone is just like, you know, I'm accomplished at whatever I do. Um, but you're here because you're the expert. So you do whatever needs to be, be done. And I trust that. And so, you know, he's obviously earned that level of, uh, trust and respect. Yeah. So, yeah, he's just, um, I don't know. That was pretty fascinating. He had two of them, so he restored those and got those back to working. Um, And then the episode did go back to the trim on the building, uh, or at least having it ready. I guess they were having someone else install it. That's what it sounded like. Yeah, yeah. But there was a really interesting part.
1: Yeah, back to... To to where yeah. you were going before about the the taper, yeah, and the the communication and and the lingo mm-hmm. that that they were using, um, yeah, it, where you had to call them and mm-hmm. and figure it out. Where I, I can see both sides here. Where if somebody was standing on the ground, they're like, "Yeah, that one end it, it tapers." Yeah. So we want to taper on, on that end. And the other end, but well, just looks flat. So we want a flat on the other right. end.
0: Whereas from, from the eyes of someone who's building it, it was like, that's a mitered corner. <laughs> <laughs> that's the same profile with, yeah.
1: with a 90. And looking at the the sample he had, I think it looks like they ran the shaper on the end, end grain of that wood. It didn't look like a mitered uh, corner. He had a pencil line drawn a miter. Right but it wasn't a mitered corner. Right. Although with good glue and and paint, mitered corners just as good as yeah, as uh as the sample he had. But yeah, just a communication breakdown. Uh-huh. there of what means something to somebody doesn't mean the exact same to the other. Right. So, but they got it figured out. He was able to to use what he had to uh-huh. salvage it. To make it work. Everything looked how it was supposed to look. Yeah. Uh, regardless of the the construction or how they got there. Right. He salvaged, because he went in and mitered the end of everything. Because uh-huh. he thought it's either going to be a mitered corner or it's going to go around a corner to another piece of trim. Right. And, uh, and they made it work. Yeah. And part of the
0: last part of that, Episode was him actually being in that movie theater. They, uh, it turned all the lights on. Mm -hmm. And so he's walking up and down the aisles and he's reminiscing, you know, with his buddy uh, or about his buddy and how they would sit in that movie theater and watch all that, which made it more real to me because, like I said, he grew up in that town. Mm -hmm. Like when he was like, before he was a teenager, he sat in that movie theater and watched movies. Yeah. You know, and here he is at, you know this point in his life he's restoring this and he's bringing with it all of the memories that he had and yeah all the things to do with it you know um it, it this episode seemed to really touch on sort of the human side of him mm-hmm. and i didn't see his wife in this episode or his daughters uh neither he just had the the two shop guys one is caesar And I can't remember the uh, other gentleman's name, but they're both partners in the business. They are. So he's obviously making steps to sort of hand this on. Yeah. You know, and he's sort of. uh, I
1: I love that. That it's it's being passed on and it's not dying. Right. Right.
0: And one of the things I made the comment to you when we were watching it, there's at least three buildings, maybe more, but they're all on stilts. So mm-hmm. this is basically built in like coastline, like almost estuary type, you know. Yeah. You, when you put a building on stilts, it's because you're anticipating water coming in underneath <laughs> yeah. it at high tide, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I thought that was really fascinating. And um, I don't know if you notice it, but they have a forklift that I wonder if it, it – I don't know which came first, the name or the uh, the forklift, but it's all painted blue, um, blue ox. You know, the, Paul Bunyan had a blue ox. Right. And this forklift looks like it came <laughs> uh, 50s, 40s. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you see it? It was absolutely massive. I did not. Yeah. Go, next I time. Go back and, and yeah, look. It's hard to miss. I mean, it's like, apparently it's not, <laughs> it, it's, it's easily 15,000 pound orklift, oh gosh. all painted sort of like a blue, like uh, yeah. the blue ox. Um, uh, they were using it to move some of the material from one place to another. Uh, but just, you could tell the style in it and the way it was built. It, it's easily from the forties or fifties. Yeah. And, um, he's obviously kept it running this whole time and. Uh, you can tell it's sort of a trusted piece of equipment.
1: He he is not one to let a valuable piece of equipment die. No, no matter how old. and uh Yeah.
0: Not happening. Uh, no, I just thought that th- this entire episode was uh, was really interesting because it dived into, and, and he was, he's just such a genuine person. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more that I watch of him, the more I think... Uh, It'd be cool to uh, have a cup of coffee with him and just ask him, you know, my one of my favorite questions is if you could go back to yourself when you first started and give yourself three pieces of advice, what yeah. would they be? And yeah. I've been fortunate enough, I've been able to ask several people that. Yeah. And you get some really thoughtful answers. And, you know, he would probably uh, really have some pearls of wisdom.
1: I'm you know, sure. About would. what's important
0: and what's not. Yeah. You know. Uh, and the latest, greatest equipment is not going to be one of his uh, pieces of advice.
1: It's not. It's going to be skill. It it would. It would. Um, part of that is the, the restoration market he's in, though. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I I think there's a place for, for latest and greatest equipment.
0: Especially uh, if you're following trends and sure. architectural features and things like that. Sure, sure.
1: Yeah. But he is. He's he's found his niche. He's yeah. found his calling. Like he's he, he's in it. Yeah, he, he's absolutely
0: in it. I would also like to know, and maybe they cover this in future episodes. How long did he work before he was "quote unquote" successful?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't I don't know if you could get a straight answer. It may not be one. Th- there's probably the
0: success that he would recognize and uh, then there would be the success that other
1: people would recognize. Ab- absolutely. I was going to say you it, know it would depend on his his definition. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But uh yeah, it was just sort of I don't know. I like that guy.
1: I do too. I
0: want to buy more plaid.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you if you noticed, but he was he was wearing red plaid shirt and red flannel jacket at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, it's a boss move. Didn't even bat an eye. Not at all.
0: Not I don't even know if there is more plaid out there. Like it may be all in his wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but just like I said, fantastic guy. Obviously accomplished, and the um, the care that these people have taken in documenting this and making this series shows that they have a lot of respect for him. No and doubt, they're not trying to turn him into a show pony. Mm-mm. They're just telling the story, mm-hmm. and uh, I just think it's just more
1: observation guess. than than anything. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, I think it's just uh, it's absolutely fantastic. It is so.
1: Okay, so go ahead. No, that
0: is all I was going to say.
1: Okay, I I have a question before we yeah. sign off. Maybe, maybe two questions. So he back to the, the boat that he built in mm-hmm. the fifth grade or how, however old he was, can you notate a time in your childhood where you're like, I did something great and this kind of steered me? in the direction that my life went. Can you remember time with the, with a best friend, with a family member, with, with something where you're like, this was a pivotal moment that sticks in my memory that, that really just, it's a turning point that takes me somewhere. I think so. Um, do you have one like that? I, I don't know that I can pinpoint one. I know I put you on the spot. But oh. I I I don't know that I can I can recall a certain moment that was like, yeah, this was it and this changed everything and took me in a in a direction.
0: I think um there there were a couple different ones. I think one of the earliest ones I can remember um uh, is I had watched some movie. Where this um, crime fighter had a uh, device—I don't know if it was Batman or if it was something else—but it shot out this dart that like stuck in the wall, you know. Yeah. And then they were able to reel it back in, right? Like pull themselves to safety. Yeah. Um, and I was—I was less than ten, um, and I didn't have the resources. Uh, to, to make anything that would shoot a dart. So I knew I knew my limits, right? <laughs> but I was able to come up with a, a simple way to take a, a toy motor out of a, an old remote control car and uh, hook it to a battery and put a little spool on it and then route uh, this, this line, you know, at like a 90-degree angle and then come back through and come out the end of a tube and I had like a magnet or an, a little alligator clip on the end of it. So I could pull it out like 10 feet and then I could hit this button. And it would go <laughs> and would yank it back in. Yeah. And uh, I remember people's reaction whenever they would see that. And they they were like, well, where did you get it? And I was like, no, I, I made it, you know. Yeah. And I remember sort of that little bit of a dopamine hit that you would get whenever people were like, but that's, that's not possible. You know, and you're like yeah. no no, I did you know i I just remember and I also remember working on that and and redesigning it and redesigning it and strengthening this and doing that and in the feeling that I had where I felt like I was uh, you know like man's first moments of flight you know I felt <laughs> like I'd really accomplished something yeah. and so I think in in a way that was my first. Feeling of uh, I had accomplished something. I had built something. Yeah. I took parts that didn't do anything like that, and now it did something that I wanted it to do. Right. That was probably my first exposure to that. Okay. Yeah. What about you? Did you have anything like that?
1: Well, kinda. It wasn't. It wasn't something on my own, but it was something I was, I was involved in that I that just mesmerized me. So we lived, I I grew up on a ranch in Mm -hmm. in New Mexico and there was cottonwood trees all over. There was a a spring that fed a reservoir there. So we had cottonwood trees growing along the irrigation ditches and we would build tree houses in these Mm -hmm. cottonwood trees. And they started out pretty crude, just little platforms and you know, some plywood we found and some two of fours and, But they grew into these elaborate tree houses where we found tire chains out in the barn. So we'd link all them together. And that was our ladder to get up in the tree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we found a a piece of, I don't know, two and three-eighths drill stem pipe. And that became our fireman pole where we could slide down that and get out of it. And then we found uh, an old cargo net. So we set that up and cut one little section out between the webbing to where we could climb out of that. If we set it up as a like a huge hammock. Yeah. And just nailed off everywhere we could find out of nails we straightened that we yeah. found around. And yeah. And we could lay in that like a hammock. Mm-hmm. Kind of like four or five people could get in that big cargo net. Yeah. But we cut that section out to where we could get out to another like fireman pole and we could yeah. slide down out of that. And I don't know, there's four or five levels of platforms you could crawl up to and There was a zip line at one point that broke when I was on it. (laughs) But, you know, we would take like garden hose and stretch it between where you had something to hold on to while you're walking a thin limb to get to another part. And This, this sounds super elaborate. Like I never built anything like that. We had a lot of time on our hands, but we, this is just stuff that we would find stuff and we'd be like, you know, what we could use this for? Right. And then we would go like make it happen and it yeah. would either work or the rope would be too small and your zipline would break. Like, right. You know, you just you experiment and you you try stuff out and I could not tell you how many hours of my childhood were spent in a tree in something we had built up off the ground, mm-hmm. you know, for for us to hang out in or, or to just to be doing something, to right. creating something, to problem solving. Problem solving. Basically. Yeah. Taking what you have. Yeah. You know, and making it into something that you wanted it to be. Like right. tire chains. Right. It wasn't a ladder. But I've climbed millions of miles on tire chains. <laughs> yeah. Getting getting yeah. up into a tree. So that was probably that probably sparked a, a part of my brain where it was like I bet I can make this do this, or I can. It has to. I can recreate something out of this to make it be this other thing I want. Right. So, I'd say that was probably a pivotal time, yeah, absolutely. not a point, but a time.
0: No, yeah, because there's, you know, neuroplasticity, and mm-hmm. when the brain is developing, and the, there are certain things you can do to prime your yeah. brain to get this like reward whenever you solve a problem, and right. so that kind of sets you on a path. Yeah. for you know, oftentimes the rest of your life. Yeah, I think it has. Wow. What was the second question you were going to ask?
1: About a place that you can walk into and memories just come flooding back, like he did in the movie theater. He uh-huh. walked in and he got kind of choked up. He did? Thinking about him and his friend in there and yeah. and the times that they'd had and things that they'd seen and... He said he saw, you know, everything from scary movies to mm-hmm. the World War II yeah. in that movie theater. And uh, it, it just kind of overwhelmed him. Like, yeah. is there a place that you can think of that that brings back just a, a flood of memories that you don't visit that often? But when you when you do happen to show up there, you're just overwhelmed with, with things that uh, y- your memory just starts firing off in every direction?
0: You know, that's a really good question. And there are places that I could go now. And if I could physically be there, I think I would get a flood of memories. But there, you know, we've moved from, my parents have moved from that house or um, that house that I used to, be a caretaker for, you know, has sold. And, mm-hmm. and so there are some of those places that if, if I walked back into, I think I would just be flooded with that sort of same um, walk down memory lane. Yeah. You know, um, something something currently that I could go to and stand in and get a flood of memories would be there is a shop that's on my parents' property that became sort of my first shop 20 years ago. Yeah, Um, And yeah, whenever I stand in that, I get um, sort of a wave of all of these projects that I worked on Mm -hmm. and a lot of problem solving and trying to figure out, like, how do I get from here to there? I know what I need to do. So, I would tell you probably that shop because I, over the last 20 years, I've spent a lot of time. uh, Well, especially for about 10 years, I spent a lot of time there. Um, And uh, I would visit back there whenever I was living abroad. You know, I'd come back to my parents and I would stand in that shop again. And you look at my equipment that was sort of sitting there and mothballed and and thinking, I remember when I, you know, when I cut that or when I made that. Yeah. Um, and it is interesting um you know to experience something like that and uh yeah i i remember a lot i remember a lot of time where i would stand in that shop and i would stare <laughs> sort of at the wall and i had just been to a client's house and they gave me a drink from a fire hydrant these are all <laughs> the things that you that that we want you to do yeah And they were like, can you do this? And I would look them straight in the eye, and I would say, yes. And then I would get in my truck, (laughs) I would drive back to my shop, and I would stand there, and I would – I didn't lie. I knew that I could do Mm -hmm. it, but I remember thinking, okay, now your work's cut out for you. How are you going to do this? No,
1: I'm not (laughs) chuckling – in you've just, been there I, i've been there yeah. i know exactly where you've been because i've done the exact same thing of yeah and i i still do it to this day because i'm confident that i can figure it out mm-hmm. and a client even commented yesterday i think that everything we ask you to do you just say no problem we'll handle yeah. it. it because i know that in some way we're gonna figure it out and we're gonna yeah. handle it I, I have no clue how to do it off the cuff right here standing in front of you. Yeah. But I know we'll get it done. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. Do you have a place like that?
1: So, the ranch I grew up on, um, my parents didn't own it. My dad was the foreman. And uh, we went back a few years ago and visited. And there's a, a big cinder block barn that's probably... Forty by 80 and the back part of it is for hay storage and the front part is uh, like a shop mm-hmm. and the floors you can call it concrete but it wasn't flat concrete Yeah, you know when concrete erodes like pieces chip off sure. and break and it's just like aggregate stuck together it was that kind of floor in it um, tin roof big huge wooden door that took Three men and a boy to open and close, right? Uh, and that barn, I learned to weld there. I learned to use uh, oxyacetylene torch there. There was a huge uh, wood bench in there that had every nut and bolt and bent nail known to yeah. man on it, and uh, the tack room for the horses was off that barn, and like everything, I learned. So much in that building. So much. And uh, we walked out there, and the corrals are attached to that. And there's a whole nother set of memories attached to those. I got bucked off of several horses. Yeah. I almost lost an eye. And there, (laughs) a lot of things have happened there. But in the building itself, like I remember being a young kid. And, uh, there was a bench grinder in there and a drill press uh-huh. and, um, the old hardware strewn about the bench. There was these big square washers, um, probably like two inches by two inches. And if you took the grinder, you could grind a little bit out of each edge and it made a Chinese star looking yes, apparatus. I and was you just could, thinking. Oh, you man. could sharpen the yeah. points still left on that and yep. you could throw it at that wooden door and it would stick. stick. Ah! Yep. And I spent, I don't know how much time out there making those or finding old saw blades and throwing them at that door. Yeah. I found an old deer antler and a file and I made that into my first knife, knife. out there. Like I... I created so many things out there. The welder was there, so I could weld yeah. together stuff that wasn't useful. I, I, you could, it, your imagination was absolutely the only thing that would limit you in that space. And I was not a latchkey kid, but my parents knew that I knew what I was doing, so they didn't worry about. They didn't anything. helicopter around you. No. Yeah. I I there was keys on a ranch truck and I could take it and disappear for 4 hours and nobody right. would worry. They'd be like, "Oh, he's just out doing whatever." Yeah. So I I had a a decent head on me where I wasn't going to burn the building down or right. or hurt myself. So I just got to do whatever I wanted to do. Man. So yeah, that building holds tremendous Nostalgia yeah. for me. You know, you saying that triggered
0: a memory in me that um, my grandfather, where the same grandfather that I got this welder from, it mm-hmm. sits behind me. He had a shop. Um, he had a, a big shed where he'd parked his trucks and his tractors under because he was a farmer. Yeah. But then he had a, a shop with a big sliding door. And... As you were talking, I was like, oh, I, sh- I should have I said that. But that shop, it had this welder. It had the old Black & Decker grinder. It had a mm-hmm. bench grinder that, as sure as I live, Dwayne, I don't think that the wheels, the, the actual stone wheels on that grinder were changed in my lifetime.
1: Oh, I don't remember the ones being changed on the one I had either. And ever. Yeah, like,
0: the, and they were... They were sort of like at a 45, like you could tell where they were always used on one side. So it sort of made this pyramidal type, yeah. you know, they weren't dressed or flat or anything like that.
1: Oh, ours were elliptical. They were just yeah, a, a yeah. perfect and, circle. And
0: whenever you turn the um, the switch on, you could hear it go, and so you knew you had to grab it and kind of spin it <laughs> and get it started, you know, and, it, you know, and spin up and... I had my great-grandfather's anvil, and it was underneath my grandfather's workbench. Oh, and man. even when I was a little kid, I could grab the horn of that anvil, and I was just strong enough to pull it out. It still sat on the concrete.
1: Yeah.
0: And my grandfather had a series of coffee cans, I mean, back when they were metal. Yeah. And because he grew up through the Depression, World War II, you never threw a nail away, you never no, threw sir. a bolt, a, a washer, or Not a nut. And I would dig through those... Cans and I would find the biggest nails that I could, and then completely cold, I'd put them on that anvil and I would hammer them. I didn't have tongs, I didn't have pliers, and so you know that feeling you get when you swing a baseball bat and it hits too close to the handle and it would sting your hands. I would get that while I was holding this nail and hitting it with a three-pound sledgehammer.
1: As you're talking, I can feel that. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In my hand, and
0: I would I would pound those out until they were roughly the shape of a nail and then I would go over to that grinder and I'd grind an edge on it and I would I would make small knives mm-hmm. out of nails. Yeah, and when that place was a magical place because whenever I was there my grandparents knew that I wasn't crazy, I wasn't yeah. going to do anything. I was I wasn't even old enough to use the welder <laughs> and I didn't use the oxyacetylene or anything like yeah. that. I used that grinder, that bench grinder, and my great grandfather's anvil, and old rusted nails. And I immediately after making one, I would throw it into a tree. I'm sure, <laughs> <it would> stick. <laughs> That's the only way you knew it was a knife. True. Um. Yeah, and I would, I would do that in the summers. I would just wear myself out. Yeah, I would do that all day, every day, and then I would go in and I would eat lunch. And my grandmother would have made something. Then I'd go right back out to that same patch of concrete. Yeah. Do that over and over. Only to be broken up every once in a while by riding a three-wheeler. Remember <laughs> three-wheelers? Yes. They're not legal now. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I know my parents worried about me, and I made it. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> die on it. Um, yeah. But, man, if I could be transported back to that patch of concrete – I would be overwhelmed uh, yeah. the same way he was standing yeah. in that movie theater. Yeah, All the things that I did um, and that feeling of agency that, you know, even though you're like eight, nine, 10 years old, you're like, look at me. I'm a man. I'm doing man things. Yes. Got a workbench, got yes. a grinder. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That was probably my answer. And that goes back to whenever I was, you know, before I was 10. Yeah. So, yeah, I do have a place that, that would just uh, completely short circuit my brain mm-hmm. with all the memories of it. Yeah. Perfect. Man. I'm glad you dug that up. I wouldn't have even thought about it. Yeah. I'm completely uh, almost entranced by that whole thing. But, yeah, so so, I mean, everybody has those, right? Yeah, the, I hope they do. Uh, yeah, right. Otherwise, it'd be sad. Yeah. Um, and and but uh, yeah, those formative things that uh, completely set you on a path that at that time you have no idea what you're starting. Absolutely not. But uh, you were
1: afraid of getting in trouble because you were doing something wrong. Right. You know. Right. If Dad had caught me throwing Chinese stars into that barn door. <laughs> I I couldn't imagine what would happen. Right. So, it, Yeah. but yeah, that, yeah, man.
0: Well, this has been a trip down memory lane. I guess this is where we'll leave it. I think it is. But, uh, thanks for asking me that question because I have not thought about that in a very long time. And, uh, I need to go back and stand on that, that shop floor. Yeah. And um, live it for a minute. Yeah. Live it for a minute. So, man. All right. Well, that's episode five. Episode five. We'll come back for episode six. Okay. Sounds good. All right.